This morning we're going to be preaching the second sermon in our series on standing up for God, talking about Elijah, and I've entitled my sermon today, Boot Camp at Cherith. It's an interesting title as I, my grandson right now is in boot camp in the army. Makes me think back to my days. Also makes me think of the during mail call, a, a Marine Corps boot camp, a young recruit received several letters from home. And the drill instructor was getting irritated at having to keep calling his name. And the drill instructor barked out, you must have a lot of people at home who like you, huh, Marine? And the recruit shouted, sir, no, sir. Which led the drill instructor to say, oh, are you calling me a liar? As the Marine, a young recruit was being taught to think quickly on his feet. He yelled out, sir, creditor, sir. Which the drill instructor had to leave the room so they wouldn't see him laughing. I spent over nine years in the military. And I know some of you have done great service for this country in the military. If you didn't, uh, if you have not been to boot camp, I imagine most of you have heard the stories from those who have been through this training. And no doubt you can remember back to those boot camp days. Things that were said to you like this, a drill instructor saying, I'm going to cut you down to size. And he meant every word he said, and he kept his promise. When the young recruits arrived at boot camp as an unorganized ragtag bunch of 70 or so young men and women of every conceivable size and background. They are thrown together in a strange place, having little idea of what is ahead of them. But during the months that follow, every shred of self-sufficient arrogance, every hint of independent spirit, and all thought of rebellion are driven out of you. Any indifference toward authority is replaced by a firm commitment to do only as you are told. The disciplined regimen of boot camp day after day, week after week, brings about remarkable changes in every recruit. The isolation of the location, the absence of all creature comforts, the relentless monotonous drills, the demanding repetition of inspections, and the constant harassment of the drill instructors yield amazing dividends. And almost without realizing it, while learning to submit to the training and the trainers, the recruits ultimately find themselves physically fit, emotionally composed, and mentally ready for whatever they might face in combat. And that kind of raw train, recruit training is precisely what the Lord had in mind when he sent his servant Elijah from the court of King Ahab to the brook Cherith. Little did the prophet know that his being hidden away at Cherith would prove to be his boot camp experience. There he would be trained to trust his leader so that he might ultimately do battle with a tremendous, treacherous enemy. So I want to look today at the text and as we read these words, try to consider how Elijah might have reacted to God's plan. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 2 through 7. Now last week we know, as we talked last week, Elijah the Tishbite stood before King Ahab. And he told Ahab, uh, there is not going to be dew or rain for these years except at my word. You remember that? And then Elijah goes off. Now maybe King Ahab thought, okay, I can last a week without rain. I, I can last a month without rain. Maybe it'll only be a couple months. We've had that before in this area. 
But little did he know just how long it would go without rain. But in the meantime, the word of God says, the word of the Lord came to him being alive, just saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that as we recognize why Elijah was sent to the brook Cherith, that we'll understand that you had a bigger plan for him, that you were going to send him for some training, and his training would start here. And I pray today, Lord, as we go through this topic, that we'll understand how you have training designed for all of us in your service. What it means to us to be in your boot camp and to learn, to be strengthened, to do your will. So help us to understand that today through Elijah what your training is for us. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Elijah's mind, the most logical arrangement seemingly would have been to keep Elijah there in the king's face. To use the prophet as a persistent goad to press the monarch into submission to God. So it only made good sense to leave Elijah there in the court of the king, right? Wrong. Guess what? That wasn't God's plan. Elijah goes before the king. He tells the king what's going to happen. Then he goes off. And I can't help but think it's to give Ahab time to let it sink in. To let this plan of God's to really sink in and how it's going to affect Ahab. How it's going to affect Jezebel. How it's going to affect the entire kingdom. Because like I said, Ahab could have sat back on the throne and said, Hey, we've been through this before. It'll only be a month. It'll only be three months. Even if it's six months, we'll survive. Who does God think he is anyway? I'm the king. Well, while we might have chosen to leave Elijah there, that's not what God's plan was. God had other important things to accomplish deep within Elijah's inner life that would prepare him for the challenges he faced ahead. Remember Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Remember this verse. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And isn't it interesting that God has repeatedly given us examples of those things throughout history? For one, you and I would never, ever, ever in a day think to have a baby born in a manger or in a stable and laid in a manger, right? We would never do that. Not, especially not the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is exactly what God did. You see, God doesn't think like we think. He says, my ways and my thoughts are much higher than your thoughts and your ways. So I guess that means we need to rely on God, doesn't it? Trust in him. 
So immediately God sends Elijah to a place of isolation, hidden from everyone, where he would not only be protected from danger, but would be better prepared for his mission. For the godly hero to be useful as an instrument in God's hand, he must be humbled and forced to trust the Lord. In other words, Elijah had to be cut down to size at boot camp. He needed the right discipline, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And often in the Old Testament, the original names of places carry symbolic meanings. And this is certainly the case with this Hebrew name, Cherith. Although no one can identify the location of that brook today, we do know that it is derived in the name from the original verb, charath, which means to cut off or to cut down. In other words, God sent him there so he would be in the right frame of mind to do what God had planned for him. The word is used both ways in the Old Testament as being cut off from others or from the blessings of a covenant and also being cut down as one might cut down a tall tree. And so while at Cherith, Elijah would be cut off from all involvement of activities that were normal and interesting, and at the same time, Elijah would be cut down to the size as his Lord used this uncomfortable situation to force him to trust God for his daily survival. You think about it, at this point, Elijah had been a spokesman for God before the king. But he was not yet completely a man of God. Remember last week we noticed in the ver verse, verse, verse of chapter 17, he was called Elijah the Tishbite. But by verse 24 of this same 17th chapter, after all that he had been through at Cherith, he's addressed as Elijah the man of God. Now I know some people will who might talk like they are servants of God, but it takes more than talk to be a servant of God. It takes faith that leads one to repent. It takes faith that leads one to confess the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior. It takes faith to go into the waters of immersion to have your sins washed away and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it takes faith to be committed in this life to following and serving God. His way by his will, for his purpose, then you will be a man or woman of God. So Elijah learned a lot and grew a lot between verses 1 and verse 24. So let's look more closely at Elijah's boot camp experience. Well, one, you're told where to go, what, when to go, how to go, and what to do when you get there, aren't you? I remember that's how it was when I got to Navy boot camp. I'm driving along in the bus to Orlando is where I did my boot camp. And it didn't seem so bad until I got there. <laughs> They're yelling at you, get off the bus! Stand in line! Keep your mouth shut! Go in that building, find a bunk, and lay down. We'll wake you in the morning. Really? I finally get to sleep. 11 o'clock at night? What time are they going to wake me? Oh, they woke us up at 5 a.m. So what do you mean? Six hours sleep? Well, that doesn't count all the times they click the lights on in the middle of the night. So I didn't sleep that night. Next morning they wake up, said, you got 15 minutes. Brush your teeth. Get out and stand in line. Go to breakfast. 
So by 5.15, we're out standing in line to go to breakfast. Guess what? Dining hall didn't open until 6.30. Then you got 15 minutes to eat, eat your breakfast. They say, we got to get you over to the barbershop, get you a haircut. 6.30, you get to the barbershop. Uh-huh. <laughs> barbershop opened at 8. Don't you know I had to pay to have all my hair cut off? That didn't seem fair. I liked my hair where it was. Then you go out there and you stand with a bunch of bald-headed guys. Then they're going to take you over to get your uniform. Guess what? They tell you, don't talk to anybody. You stand there and wait until somebody comes and tell Guess what? Then we had to strip down to our skivvies. Skivvies are your underwear, your t-shirt, and your, your shorts. Then these ladies came out and saw all these ball-headed young recruits standing there in their shorts and their shirts waiting to get their uniforms. They humble you really fast when you get there, and this is all within not even the first 12 hours of being in the Navy, and all I could think of is, what did I do to deserve this? And I'll tell you what I did. I signed a paper. I never knew I was going to pay so much for my autograph. You know what? You're told where to go, when to go, how to go, and what to do when you get there. And any recruiter who's ever been through boot camp can tell you that every hour of the day someone's ordering you to where to go, when to go, what to do, and how to survive. And well, guess what? God did the same thing for his prophets in training. He told Elijah exactly where to go, what he was to do when he got there, and how he would manage to survive. Think about it. He says, go away from here. Turn eastward. Tide, hide yourself by the brook Cherith, east of the Jordan. Drink of the brook, and the ravens will feed you for it. They'll bring you bread, and they'll bring you meat. He was told exactly by God what was going to happen. But the plan must have seemed a strange one to Elijah. The first thing he was supposed to do was hide. Elijah must have thought, but I'm a prophet. Prophets don't hide, they preach. And for many people, the most difficult command to hear and obey would be the command to hide. And being commanded to leave the public spotlight to go into quiet and seclusion would be a real challenge for a, a people person or a get-the-job-done kind of person like Elijah. And sometimes sickness forces that kind of a situation for a person. Did you ever wonder... If you're that kind of person, you're a go, go, go person, and you want to see people, and you want to do things, and then suddenly maybe you catch a cold, or you catch the flu, and you're down on your back. You ever think maybe, just maybe it's God's design to get you a little rest. I've been there. I've been go, 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 do, do, do. And then somebody would say, you need to find time to rest. And I would say, I don't have time to rest. I have things to do, people to see, places to go. And then all of a sudden, something happens and boom, you're down on your back with the flu. Like, God, I got places to go, people to see, things to do. <coughs> and then I got the drill sergeant standing over me. Named Liani, my wife, <laughs> saying, You're not going anywhere <laughs> because you're sick. 
Adrian finally got a rest. Yes, ma'am. I once was running 104 fever and wanted to go play basketball. Because the team needed me. I didn't get I didn't get to go. The drill instructor won that one too. In the next verse, God explained how Elijah would survive during the period of hiding. He said, you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to provide for you. Now try to picture Elijah explaining to someone what he was about to do. Imagine the conversation he might have had with an inquisitive person as he left town with a knapsack over his shoulder. Hey, where are you going, Elijah? Uh, Elijah? Some place called Cherith. Well, where's that? I'm not really sure, but God's going to show me. I think it's over there, east of the Jordan somewhere. There's a small brook running through it. Well, what are you going to do when you get there? I'm going to drink from the brook. Well, what will you have to eat? Actually, God told me the birds are going to be my catering service. Now, does that story real sound logical? Does it sound real? Does God truly not move in mysterious ways? That's pretty crazy. And as I mentioned earlier, God had at least two reasons for commanding Elijah to hide himself. First, he wanted to protect Elijah from Ahab and Jezebel. And second, he wanted to train Elijah to be a man of God. A person by the name of A.W. Pink writing about Elijah said this. The prophet needed further training in secret if he was to be personally fitted to speak again for God in public. The man whom the Lord uses has to be kept low. Severe discipline has to be experienced by him. Three more years must be spent by the prophet in seclusion. How humbling. Alas, how little a man to be trusted. How little is he able to bear being put on the place of honor. How quickly self rises to the surface and the instrument is ready to believe he is something more than an instrument. How sadly easy it is to make a very service, uh, to make of the very service God entrusts us with a pedestal on which to display ourselves. And some sounds rather true, doesn't it? Think about it. How many years were the apostles in training with Jesus? Three years. It's the same amount of time that Elijah is going to spend in training for God. I'm glad boot camp for me was only nine weeks. Elijah's going to be in boot camp for three years. And when I think of Elijah needing more training, I can't help but think of Luke Skywalker in the movie The Empire Strikes Back. Have you ever been, how many of you ever seen The Empire Strikes Back? A few of you. Okay, you remember Luke's training? In the first movie, he, he, uh, he conquers the empire, but just for the lack of a better word, it was just plain out luck and his instinct. And Luke goes to a place called Dagobah to find Yoda, the Jedi master for training. And Yoda's reluctant to train Luke because he found that Luke had uh, some anger and recklessness issues about the, the villain Darth Vader. And Yoda, Yoda relented and began to train Luke. But before the training was over, Luke went to rescue his friends instead with the promise that he would come back eventually and fulfill his training. Well, fortunately, Elijah was not like Luke. Without one moment's hesitation, Elijah obeyed and didn't even ask why. In verse 5, it says, He went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Elijah didn't just 
take a day trip off a beaten track. Rather, he obeyed and went to the place of isolation, and he lived there for the extended period of time. And then what happened? Well, look at verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, this almost sounds like a vacation, doesn't it? But it's not. God has a purpose. And what an incredible experience that must have been. If you have ever been in the desert, then you know how scarce food and water can be. Yet God provided his prophet with fresh water from the brook and bread and meat in the morning and in the evening. So in that sense, things were pretty good. Well, then something happened. And in verse 7, it says something later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, I'm guessing that brook dried up over a period of time. Perhaps one morning Elijah noticed the brook wasn't gushing over rocks like usual. And since that stream of water was his lifeline, he kept an eye on. And over the next few days, he watched it dwindle and shrink until it was only a trickle. And then one morning, there was no water at all, only wet sand. Now, let me ask you, is that significant? Absolutely. This put Elijah in a tough spot. Remember the words that Elijah spoke to King Ahab? As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these days except by my word, Elijah said. Now I wonder if at some point now Elijah's thinking, you know, all I have to do is go back there and tell Ahab it's going to rain and rain will come. And then all look pretty good before the king. That's not what he did. You see, the problem here, this is a life-threatening spot. The brook had dried up. Elijah had nothing to drink. Do you think Elijah might have wondered if God had forgotten him? Do you think he felt abandoned? Perhaps he did. Of course, we would never think that, would we? Nobody in here would ever think they were left by God. I hope not. Because we remember what God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you know, some of their tough times have come. And sometimes we might want to think, where are you, God? Why did you let this happen? We might think God left us, but not the case. Before we go anything, uh, anything further, there's a good place to pause and reflect. There are two important things we must understand at this point. First, we must understand that God who gives water can also withhold water. This is God's sovereign right. Our human thoughts and feelings tell us that once God gives something, he should never take it away. And that just wouldn't be fair. But when God does take away something that he once gave, when our brook dries up, we must remember that God is still alive and well. And that he knows what he is doing. And surely if God led Elijah to the brook, then he knows what to do when the brook dries up, doesn't he? And second, we must understand that the dried up brook was a direct result of Elijah's own prayer. Hello. We might not think about it, but in James chapter 5, verse 17, James says that Elijah prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it didn't rain on earth for three and a half years. Three and a half years. That was his earnest prayer. So Elijah was personally experiencing the result 
of his own prayer. Well, let me see. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever heard someone say, be careful what you pray for? Oh, we pray that God might make us into godly men and women, but we also ask that it not hurt too much. And we pray for stronger faith, but we don't want it to include struggle or suffering, do we? We want patience, but when do we want it? Right now. You see, God's spiritual boot camp doesn't work that way. God's spiritual boot camp is designed for our development, not our comfort. Did you catch that? I said something. This is worth writing down. God's spiritual boot camp is designed for our development, not our comfort. Boot camp wasn't always comfortable. Trust me, rarely was it comfortable. But it sure developed me and a whole lot of other men and women. So I want to share with you briefly four lessons from boot camp at Cherith that Elijah had to learn. And the first one is this. He learned to be willingly set aside so as to be used. Willingly set aside so as to be used. You know, sometimes we need a little downtime to draw closer to God. Sometimes God calls us out of the game and has us sit beside him on the bench. You ever notice why is it starting, uh, say in basketball or any other sport, the star of the game sometimes gets called over the bench and where is he placed? Right next to the coach. Why is that? He's the star. Don't you want your star in the game? The key is this. Sometimes even the star needs some things to learn. Sometimes even the star needs to take a break. Sometimes even the star needs to be adjusted one way or another. You see, sometimes God needs, wants to take us out of the game. And set us on the bench next, next to him so we can get a little bit of motivation, a little bit of rest, a little bit of understanding the plan a little better. And sometimes he asks us to serve in hidden ways rather than public ways. Did you ever notice things get done in the church and you might say, I wonder who did that? You know, not everything that gets done in the church is broadcast, is it? Somebody takes out the trash. I'll be honest. I don't know who takes out the trash. I don't need to know. One of God's servants takes care of it. Somebody cleans the toilets. I don't know who does that. I'll be honest. A servant of God does it. Does it get heralded? Is it put up on the screen? Today, Joe Smith cleaned the toilets. Hey, let's hear it for Joe. No, Joe doesn't want anybody to know. Because sometimes things are done in hidden ways and not in the public ways. And oftentimes God asks us to play second string rather than first string. Because God has a purpose. You know, we must learn to be willing to be and to do whatever God wills. Elijah was willing to obey God by confronting King Ahab. Then Elijah was willing to obey by hiding in the wilderness while waiting his next assignment. And it was time for Elijah to learn 
what God's next mission would be. You see, all the time, we might not realize it, but all the time Elijah is hiding away, God's teaching things to Elijah. Maybe God's not speaking to him, but Elijah's learning things. Maybe he's learning patience, which you'll find later Elijah surely needed. Maybe he's learning just to take it easy for now because I have a big mission for you later. You're going to need the energy. You're going to need the spiritual strength, so on and so forth. You know, you and I need to learn to be willingly set aside so as to be used by God. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Each one of us. And God might be preparing you right now for something big. You say, well, what about my age? And you never realize what age I am? I do. Guess what? God didn't use Moses till he was 80 years old. And he'd been training Moses for a long time leading up to that point. And maybe Moses didn't even realize it. Number two, we need to learn that God's direction includes God's provision. God's commands always come with the provision and power to carry them out. You know, God just doesn't, here's your job, and it leaves you without the tools. How cool it would be for God to give us a command without the necessary provision for carrying it out. You think, Elijah was sent to the brook Cherith, and he got to drink from the brook, and the ravens fed him morning and night. Every day. Do we ever see that in the past? Does God take care of anybody? Sure. He sent manna, didn't he? Every day he sent manna for the Israelites. Twice he fed, he sent in the quail to give the meat. Twice water poured from a rock. And he still grumbled. All we see is the ravens feeding Elijah every day, every evening. He has water to drink. He's in a nice place. And the water dries up. Now, how many of you think God's just going to leave him there now to thirst to death the next three or four days and it's going to be all she wrote? God had a direction for Elijah and he would provide. He told Elijah to go to the brook and that he would provide and God certainly did. So now it's time to send Elijah somewhere else. You see, his basic training was coming to an end, I believe. Now he needed a little advanced training. And we're going to pick up on that next week. Because he's going to get sent to Zarephath for more training. So we learn that God's direction includes God's provision. And when God has something for you to do, he's going to provide you the tools to do it. Number three, we learn to trust God one day at a time. Oh, here's a tough one. This one's a tough one. We've all heard that so many times before, haven't we? Take each day as it comes. Live your life one day at a time. Why? Because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. In reality, though, we must learn to live today. Learn to trust God one day at a time. We must not try to live in the yesterday or the tomorrow. Live in the today. Did you notice that God never told Elijah what the second step would be until he had taken the first steps? God told him to go to the brook Cherith, and this is what would happen. Did God know what the next plan would be? Absolutely. 
Did God tell Elijah? Why not? What was that, Luke? He didn't need to know. What's the first thing? I'll tell you what I would do if I was Elijah. And this was done to me. If God says, go to the brook Cherith, and then the ravens are going to feed you day and night, and then eventually when the brook dries up, I'm going to send you to the widow at Zarephath. Here's what Tom would be doing. Why sitting along on the brook, drinking the water, ravens feed me, so on and so forth. I'm sitting there. Now what about this widow at Zarephath? What am I going to do when I get there? What's she going to do for me while I'm there? What plan does God have for me? You see what I'm doing? I'm rationalizing and thinking about the next mission instead of learning what I'm supposed to learn in the first mission, the first step. And many people are like that. That's exactly what we want to do. We want to think about tomorrow's plan and not focus on today's plan. God had told Elijah to go and confront Ahab. Then what? I'll tell you later. After he confronts Abraham, God tells him to go to the brook. Then what? I'll tell you later. God didn't tell him the next step until after the brook dried up. Now you're ready for the next step. Can we learn to trust God that way? Can we learn to trust God one day at a time? One step at a time. How many think it's easy to trust God one day at a time? Absolutely, it's not. But as a former boss of mine always told me, if it was easy, I'd get somebody else to do it. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be right. See, we want to know all the then what's, but God just wants us to trust him each step of the way. And then when we get there, he'll tell us the next step. So we learn to trust God one day at a time. And then the final step is learn that a dried up brook is often a sign of God's pleasure, not his disapproval. In other words, don't assume the dried up brook is a sign of God's judgment or punishment. It's more likely as a sign of his acceptance of us and investment in us. Remember, this is part of the answer to Elijah's prayer. It is also an indication to Elijah that, that it's time to move on to the next level of training. And that wasn't to be a vacation spot. This was the first stop. But where to go after basic training? You go to advanced training. And God warrant, wants the best for each of us. And sometimes the very best for us is a free-flowing stream, and sometimes it's a dried-up brook. But let me ask you a question. Do you think Elijah... Learned from the nice flowing brook? Do you think you learned anything from the dried up stream? One thing I think about is if he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and not just did he pray, it says he prayed vehemently with zeal that it wouldn't rain. And Elijah could be sitting here thinking, <laughs> this is proof. The stream, the brook is dried up. So it's not raining up upstate somewhere and flowing down. It's not raining anywhere. My prayer is being answered. And now it's up to God to move me in the next spot. Maybe he's also thinking, 
hot dog, it's moving day. God has somewhere for me to go because the brook dried up. God, God, where are we going to go? She says, wait, I'll tell you tomorrow. But I'm going to tomorrow. I'm going to know today. Just one more day, Elijah. One more day. And then you're going to go where I tell you to go. Because it's going to be in my time and not your time. You see, as we experience God's boot camp training, we need to understand that there are three primary obstacles that God is trying to help us to overcome. First, it's pride. It's pride. If we don't learn to conquer pride, it will destroy us. In the place of pride, God wants us to develop a humble and submissive spirit. That's the being cut down the size part of boot camp. To get rid of our pride. And let God take care of it. To be humble before God. The second obstacle is this. Fear. Fear can be so crippling. Through our boot camp training, God wants us to learn to fear nothing and no one except him. And when we fear nothing and no one but God, then that fear is replaced by trust. And boy, we're going to see Elijah has, has to learn that later on, that fear thing. It's going to come back to bite him. And God has to give him a little extra advanced training on the dealing with fear. You see, when we learn to trust God, we can walk in faith, not in fear. And then that final obstacle that God wants to help us overcome is resentment. You see, resentment can tie us up into such knots. Resentment usually is based on the, the rights we think we deserve that we aren't getting. And resentment begins to build when we don't get the kind of salary we think we deserve. Resentment begins to build when we don't receive the kind of treatment that we think we deserve. And resentment begins to build when we don't get the comforts we think we should have the right to. And in spiritual boot camp, God works on us to mold us, shape us, and cut us down to size till we finally can say, okay, okay, you are God and you are in control. I release everything to you. I give up all my rights. I will be thankful for anything you give me, but I don't have a right to anything. And in every real sense, God has designed a boot camp for his children, but it doesn't last eight weeks or ten weeks. God's boot camp can't be crammed into a weekend seminar or even a two-week camp. God's boot camp takes place periodically throughout the Christian's life. And there in the very center of obstacles and pain and solitude, we come to realize how alive God is in our lives, how alive and in charge God is. And God will work long and hard for us to reduce us, break us, and mold us so that we will become the people he intends us to be. And all of us are in one of three places or stages in the periodic boot camp cycle. We are either just about to go into boot camp training, we are in boot camp training, or we just emerge from some boot camp training. And in each of the stages, we need to be ready to cooperate with God. You see, Elijah went to Cherith as an energetic spokesman for God. He emerged from Cherith as a deeper man of God. And all this happened in that secluded place beside the brook that dried up. So my final question is this. Where are you in God's boot camp training? God's boot camp is hard and challenging and never fun or enjoyable. But when we cooperate with God and submit to his training, the results are life-changing and eternal life-changing. 
May each of us allow God to train us and equip us in boot camp just like Elijah did. Just like Elijah. Bet you didn't know you had as much in common with one of the Bible personalities. Elijah. He's going to go to a place that totally defies logic. He's going to meet with a woman named, she's not up to have a name, her name is the widow, the widow of Zarephath, and her son. And we're going to find out that God had a bigger plan. But I don't think God, I don't think Elijah would be able to survive in Zarephath without the training he just had at Jericho. Because God always has a plan for how to take care of his servants. And if you want to be a servant of God, God's ready to use you in a mighty way. And he might already be training you up for something big. And maybe it's not as big as you and I might think, but it's something within his plan. Miss Phyllis asked me a question this morning. We chatted about it for a little while. She asked, how did I know when I felt I was being called to the ministry? Phyllis this. I don't, can't pinpoint it for one time, but what I can say is, in my first few years as a Christian, the, the fire and the desire just continued to grow until a point that I was ready to give up everything to be a preacher for Jesus. I can only look back down and say, as I was going, God was preparing me along the way preparing my family along the way, my wife and my two sons, to the point where I was ready to quit my job and to become a youth minister at the church when it was presented. And I always joke, you'd have known me before I became a Christian at the age of 25, 26, whatever it was, you'd have never thought I'd ever stand up before anybody and speak. I was so quiet and shy. It's the truth. I was extremely introverted. Fear would grasp me if I had to stand up before people. But I'll tell you, when God gets a hold of you, and you start seeing his plan, God can make all kinds of things that you think are crazy happen in the most mighty way. You're not serving. You haven't given your life to Jesus. What are you waiting for? It's the best thing you'll ever do in your life. I share with you earlier how to become a Christian by faith. By faith, you believe who Jesus is. He died on the cross for you. By faith, you repent. That's a turning away from your sinful life to follow Jesus. By faith, you confess the name of Jesus as your master and Lord. By faith, you're baptized. You're immersed. In the water grave, you're taking part in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as you're buried and resurrected. To have you, you have your sins washed away and filled with God's Holy Spirit. And by faith, you walk in His ways. And watch all the amazing things God does using you as His servant. We're going to stand and sing, I'll fly away. Don't worry about Jesus saves. It's, 
It's still the words of I'll fly away. I forgot to change the uh, thing. If you stand with me, we're going to sing I'll fly away verses 1 and 3. If you have a decision to make for Jesus this morning, you come as we sing. Thank you for listening to this message from our evangelist, Tom Schof. Our prayer is that each of you, after hearing the truth of God's word today, have been encouraged, enlightened, and challenged by the truth of the gospel message. Our prayer is that each of you will know Christ in a very deeper manner by hearing these messages. And should you have a question concerning your faith, your trust in God, your relationship, even your salvation, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.chieflandchristianchurch.org. That's www.chieflandchristianchurch.org. Or you can email us at ccchiefland at gmail.com, and we'll be glad to get back with you. Don't forget this message has been brought to you by Anchor FM, the free platform that is designed to make it simple and easy for you to create your own podcast just like this one. Anchor FM.
you can download it today at their website, anchor.fm, and enjoy this exciting new platform.